It's football and are the F words and the original duo sort of original duo are back. Uh, we, we have a lot to catch up on because we haven't really talked in about it's about now a full week and several days, not even the text. We haven't really texted a lot. We had yeah. even group chatted enough. So we got, we got a lot to go through. Uh, obviously I was with the senior bowl with Stoney. So thanks to Stoney for filling in on football and other efforts last week. Thanks to our travel sponsor lines for, and of course, thanks to our spo- uh, always forever sponsor bluegrass beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee over 50 years. There's a lot of champagne. You should have bought from bluegrass beverages to celebrate everything that is going right with the Tennessee Titans for once. And guess what? If you thought you ran out of uh, occasions to go to bluegrass beverages and buy yourself a champagne bottle, you have it. Because it should be noted that high first-round draft pick Brock Bowers is is coming to the Tennessee Titans as set in stone because he said on a random interview on Fox Sports <laughs> that he loves Tennessee Titans. So that means he's 100% getting drafted. So pop your champagne bottles, everybody, and let's celebrate. Brock Bowers' seasons is here. It finally happened. We kind of spoke – we joked this into existence, I think, at some point because we have talked about numerous times that uh, – this this is what's what's gonna happen and everybody's gonna freak out and now here it is so bluegrass beverages for all your uh, all your draft celebration needs they are ready for you. Uh, Mike let's just start off the top rope uh, course Titans Twitter Titans X as unhinged as they are decides to take <laughs> go go insanely bonkers over a draft prospect saying they want to play for the Tennessee Titans. For those that may not know, Jalen Ramsey obviously became a Tennessee Titans because he was a Tennessee Titans fan growing up and he was in the area. So this will for sure me. And it deserves all the reaction that it is getting on Titans Twitter. It deserves all the overblown, out-of-proportion tweets on Twitter about team building and analytics and all this stuff. It deserves it because this will for sure happen. Brock Bowers, Tennessee Titans. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, obviously, anytime a player wants to play for a specific team, <laughs> then it's it's automatic that you have to draft 100%. them. That is uh, set in stone. So, um, yeah, I mean, unless Brock Bowers actually comes out and says, I will refuse to sign with any team besides the Tennessee Titans, and I'm forcing my way there, uh, you know, in which case the Titans should take him in the, in the seventh round with their last pick. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so I mean, unless they that hold happens, all the leverage now, it's a non-story. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw somebody. going to draft a guy that obviously says he wants to go play for the Tennessee Titans because I mean he's obviously an idiot and he's probably too tall for some general manager. <laughs> true, true. He's very intimidating. That figure that brought Brock Bowers. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw somebody in my mention saying something like, "Well, you know, teams might hesitate to draft him now if he says he wants to play." No, come on, man! Like nobody gives it. Like George Kittle wants to play for the Titans too, but like, I mean, it doesn't matter well, he's because on he's under contract, contract with the, with the Titans, right? Isn't he on the second contract with the Tennessee Titans because he obviously got a home here? Remember Aaron Rodgers? He's a oh, Tennessee true. Titan. He bought his home here. Yeah, um, Tom Brady. We know that Rex Ryan NBA. and Rob Ryan and Bill Belichick are all coachings, uh, coaches here for the Tennessee Titans because right. uh, they also have homes here. And, of course, Jim Nance is the dedicated voice of the Tennessee Titans because he also lives here. This has nothing to do with anything. I just thought – I just and, I, and, I, and I'm going to be honest. I put Brock Bowers everywhere I could in the titles because I know it will get the people going, and this was the right time to do it. Very, It's the first time I've ever been so clickbaity 
fucking article. Or where the website. It's clear. It's so clear. Because this means absolutely nothing. But I do think this brings up a good discussion to have. And it's I this discussion is kind of twofold because you you have a tweet out there that I'm not that I'm not necessarily sold on some of the prospects you put on there, but this this takes us to a discussion of blue chip prospects as well. But Bill Callahan in the debate between wide receiver and offensive tackle, Bill Callahan has said numerous times that you he wants a player that in the final seconds of a game he can go Brian, to and release Brian Callahan. Yeah, sorry, Brian Cowell. Did I say Bill? You said Bill, yeah. Damn, that was bad on the play. But he said that I want a uh, player that I can go to that is uh, that can rely on in the final minutes of the game to, to get a long gain or get that game-winning gain or score. Yeah. Ever says wide receiver, just throwing that out there, Brock Bowers does still fit that mold. And we really, we, I think, Disagreed, and we talked a lot of football. Maybe I don't want to take it too much out of context, but he's kind of Brock Bowers is a blue chipper. But I think Brock Bowers is a blue chipper. Is it the worst thing in the world if certain players are gone? That okay, Brock Bowers is a seven. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I I do view Bowers as a blue chipper. Now, now he's not the guy that like. I want them to take at seven as far as like my top choice. But if, if he ends up as a Titan, it's not a bad thing at all. And I think people get too hung up on this whole, like, well, tight end versus wide receiver. Thing. Like they are pass catchers and Brock Bowers is definitely to me in the mold of Travis Kelsey. And the fact that like Travis Kelsey's really just a big receiver. Um, you know, the, that's the way the chiefs use him. Um, that's the way that's the function that he is in their offense. Really? Uh, to me, like Bowers, you could use the same way and, and not to say that he is Travis Kelsey necessarily because he's still got to prove that to a large degree. But the the college tape and the college production is very Travis Kelsey-esque. Uh, uh, and I could absolutely see him more so than any other tight end prospect uh, really out of the – and even Kyle Pitts. Like I know people are, throw out the Kyle Pitts thing, but like to me – Kyle Pitts did not have anywhere close to the production that Brock Bowers has had at the college level. Um, the tape is not nearly as good as what Brock Bowers is. But even when Kyle Pitts was coming out, wasn't everybody say just wait for Brock Bowers? <laughs> like, yes. I mean, yes. I feel like everybody's been talking about Brock Bowers for like the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like ever since he was a freshman, because he put up crazy numbers as a true freshman at a position where true freshmen almost never put up big numbers. Uh, so, I mean, I look, Bowers is to me an exception. Like, and I do agree, like, look, tight end in the first round uh, is not usually the best bet if you look historically. And if you look at where, you know, some of the better tight ends in the NFL have come from. But to me, like, there are exceptions to every rule. To me, Bowers screams exception uh, based on his play, based on his tape, based on his production, based on everything about him. Um, I, 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 I'm in on Brock Bowers as like a blue chip prospect, even though, you know, would I rather have Malik Neighbors? Yes. Um, would I rather have Joe Alt? Yes. But like, if the Titans ended up with Bowers, I'm not going to be mad about it. I mean, give me playmakers. Brock Bowers is without a doubt a playmaker. There, There's a Grand Canyon-sized gap 
admit, listen, it's there is a light years, let's say between the Earth and Jupiter is the difference between talent level of <laughs> Brock Bowers and Chigagonko at this at this point. I mean, like you can't just say, well, they don't Brock Bowers, you can't draft Brock Bowers because you have Chigagonko and Josh Wally. Well, first off, neither <laughs> so of the guys that, that wanted Chigaconquo is inside the building, right? And Chigaconquo showed you that he cannot be relied on for the first eight weeks of the season. And now he's learning an entirely new system, and he probably can't be relied on the first eight weeks next season. Josh Wiley is is a fifth round pick, and he's Josh Wiley. This is Brock Bowers. There's a there's an entirely big difference. But you have Roma Dunze and Malik Neighbors as blue chip prospects. Mm-hmm. I am I am on the border with Malik Neighbors. I don't think Roma Dunze is a blue chip prospect. So I'm not asking you to really defend, not to get an argument or anything. I'm just, yeah. I'm just where, where are you at on the quarterbacks though? Because me and Stoney were talking and I don't know if I'm putting any quarterback as a blue chip prospect. Mm, I, I go back and forth with Caleb Williams. Cause the, I don't know how much of the off field stuff is overblown. I think from a talent standpoint, he's a like very clear blue chip. Uh, prospect and I, I don't know what to make of the off the field stuff is it overblown is it people misunderstanding him is it you know all narrative I you know or is it real like I, I have no idea because I don't know the kid personally I don't know anything you know I don't have any behind the scenes like contacts within the USC program or Oklahoma program or anything like that so to me just based off of what I can observe I, I have Caleb Williams as a blue chipper um and I would have Drake May as well. I, I think, think so? he's super talented. Um, and and honestly, like, I don't know. I'd, I might consider Jaden Daniels too. Like, as much as that surprises me, I think Jaden Daniels out of the three of them is the most blue chip prospect. I but yeah. I don't think I'm putting any, it. Depends on what your definition of blue chip prospect is. Like, is it like the best of the best in just this particular draft class, or a guy that you are guaranteeing that's going to be a multi-time All Pro? or just a pro bowler, which being a pro bowler doesn't matter anymore. Uh, so glad that I won that argument between you and Lebowski, that these pro bowlers, pro bowls don't matter anymore. The cutoff Wait, is do, done. When was I arguing Hunt, about pro bowlers being for important. hall of fame or hall of fame? Okay. I think it does get used for hall of fame debate, but I, I think there's think a cutoff really now that Tyler Huntley and Gardner Minshew have been on teams back to back. I think we're done. <laughs> I think they do. You, I you, have, can, you can have it from, listen, from 2000 or from 1950, whenever these guys are going to the Pro Bowl, from 1950 to 2020, you can use Pro Bowls. I think for anybody else after that, Pro Bowls are done. I think yeah, they're, they're done. Probably fair. So, do you, what do you classify, define a blue chip prospect in your mind? I guess to me, it's a prospect that has like a, a a ceiling that is like top five at his position in the NFL and a very reasonable path towards getting there. Um, Like, can I close my eyes and see in two years, Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels or Brock Bowers being a top five player at his position in the NFL and going to like being on all pro, you know, lists, if not getting the selection, is he getting votes and, and things like that? Um, that's kind of how I would, it, it, you know, and it's look, it's subjective, right? Like that's not like a hard and fast, uh, deal, yeah, but, no, no. but to me, that's kind of how I, I don't know. 
Like it all depends on landing spot. Like that's, I think that's where it has for me for the quarterbacks. Yeah. Is that I didn't care where Joe Burrow landed. I thought Joe Burrow's a blue chip prospect. Yeah. These guys though, don't have that like bulletproof. I'm going to work wherever I land kind of feeling to them. And so maybe that's why I'm a little bit out on it. Cause I'm like, well, that that's they're really dependent, but like Peter Skaronsky, blue chip prospect. I, cause I, as yeah. a guard, I, I yeah. never had him as an tackle, but as a guard. And I was looking back at my list last year, I had Brian Branch was on there, and yeah. I thought that he was a blue chipper, and he was my he borderline. He's like my round, right? Or yeah, was it late it was, first? Yeah, late first. Uh, because, um, or no, he did get into the second, backer. right? Did he? I thought I'm they traded certain. both him and no, it was Sam Laporta in the first, wasn't it? Uh, no. But I had him as blue chip prospect wherever he was at. And uh, he was a second round like, pick 45. Wow, that's crazy. Because um, you're, you're thinking about Jack Campbell. Um, yeah, Jack Campbell I thought was in the second round. Jack Campbell and then Sam Laporta, uh, Brian Branch. What a I draft, by the way. Yeah. By the way, did you see his little uh, press conference yeah. where he was calling everybody out? Good for him. Yeah. Uh, what, what? And he should. He should call all those nerds he, out. Well, yeah, he should. I mean, he's he's got the, the skins on the wall. And I agree with Andrew King. Branch should have been top 15 at the very least. Um, and I, I thought... I thought for I thought him falling was insane. Yeah. But it brings me to this to this overall feeling from the Tennessee Titans. And we have since we've last talked, Denard Wilson, defensive coordinator, Steven Jackson in an unnamed position at this point, but it's assumed somewhere in the secondary. Frank Bush, unnamed position, but probably linebackers of some sort, um, have been hired. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you have Nick Holtz. Not Holes, but Holtz. That's unfortunate. I was really hoping it was going to be Holes. But Holtz as the offensive coordinator. Bill Callahan as the offensive line coach. Tyke Tolbert as the wide receiver coach. And it's being assumed right now that Justin Otten is being kept on as running back coach for the Tennessee Titans. So, which I'm, I'm fine with. Um, so looking at all of this, because the big discussion in your article is talking about what Bill Callahan has done. We've heard what Brian Callahan has said. We see the prospects that are available at the moment. We see that uh, Bill Callahan can is a kingmaker for the offensive line. He could do. He's done a lot with first and second rounders and all this kind of stuff, but he's done tremendous work with guys that are not of that caliber and pedigree throughout his career. And everybody wants to debate left tackle or wide receiver. Or, and I get to this point where I'm like, you guys may need to brace yourselves. Depending on how the draft falls, could be neither. <laughs> it could be something that way out of the blue. Because I think from what we've heard from Chad Brinker and Rand Carthon, we'll talk about that in a minute. I feel like the best player available is still in play for every round of this draft. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it is like, and I don't think that the Titans have to pigeonhole themselves. Like they're, they're not going to put themselves in a position where they are pigeonholed into taking one spot or another, because look, you don't know who's going to be there. It's possible that, you know, you get the two quarterbacks at the top and then you go, or, you know, even three quarterbacks at the top, which I think is still the most likely way that this goes. Um, and then you go uh, Harrison, Neighbors, Adunze 
four, five, and six. And and there's no wide receiver worth taking on the board at seven. Um, you could see Alton Fashano go five and six right in front of you. So like there's no guarantee that there's gonna be that prospect that you want available at pick seven. So like you can't enter the draft with just no option at left tackle uh or, or no real option at wide receiver besides what you've already got on the roster. They're gonna have to add in free agency and it's gonna have to be a both uh solution. So like Jonah Williams, for example, sign him as your stopgap left tackle option. You know, hey, if you no, no, to start not this him. Season- we cannot there's certain people on Twitter that have been pushing for Jonah Williams. You're gonna have to choose someone else to champion on this podcast. I'm not I'm not have- like Okay, I'm not a. I know you're not champion. Let's Williams use someone guy. different. Let's use Tyron uh, Smith or something. Okay, Tyron Smith. Like <laughs> that, Jonah Williams. Like if you sign Tyron Williams and then you t- then you you have a passable solution. So like if you don't take Alt or Fashano, like if those guys aren't available, you can start the season with Tyron Smith and then probably you're still going to draft a tackle at some point and try to develop them into the the Tyron Smith replacement that you'll need in like week six when he goes down with a, a you know ruptured Achilles or whatever he's going to end up doing, whatever's going to get hurt. Uh, right. And I do think that those young guys now with Bill Callahan on staff are a little bit more intriguing, you know, like even Nicholas Petit Frere, Dylan Radens, Jalen Duncan, uh, all those guys. Like, I, I think you can sit there and say, there's a path forward now to like those guys figuring out because I don't think any of those guys are limited physically, really. Like, I mean, Raidens is a pretty right. good athlete. Um, Nicholas Petit Frere is a really good athlete. I think Jalen Duncan's a really good athlete. They're all big. They're all strong. They've all got length. They're powerful. Um, it's a technique thing with them. It's technique and consistency and and mental processing, even as far as like picking up stunts. Those guys, those are coachable. Those, those are literally what Brian or Bill Callahan is here to do and fix. So like, I'm not necessarily saying the Titans should enter this season planning on all those guys to take huge steps forward and do stuff that we've never seen them do before. But if you wanted to take, you know, that group and throw them into the mix with, you know, Daniel Brunskill and with, you know, in addition on the right side, like Michael Onwenu and see like who comes out of that. Cause somebody probably is going to come out of that and be okay um i'm i'm good with that like I, you don't have to get all five new starters or all four new starters around peter skaronsky you can take some new new guys mix them in with the old guys and and see kind of what comes out of it and and that's what i wrote about really at paulkarski.com today is bill callahan his effect on previous teams and then what the titans could do to have a similar leap to like Almost every team that he's gone to has immediately gotten much better on the offensive line, um, including the Browns, who jumped from 17th and 29th in PFF run or pass and run blocking, respectively, uh, in 2019 to first in both categories in Bill Callahan's first year in 2020. And like, look, I don't think the Titans are going to have undisputably the best offensive line in football this year. But is there a path to like a top five offensive line? Absolutely. Like, cause they've already laid out the blueprint for what that looks like. Um, and I, I think that's in play with a few additional, like it's, you can't just have him do it with the, the guys that are already here. You're going to have to add, but uh, it's in play. Like there's a path towards that. 
I believe it. Who did I say said this this morning? Um, oh, it was uh, Duke Manyweather on uh, that does the O line masterminds said that absolutely. Bill Callahan gives you flexibility about where, where and who to spend your offensive line on. And I think that is, I think that's ultimately where I land because I think that with, with the signing of Bill Callahan and with what you have heard Brian Callahan say, what we know, uh, but from coming from the draft room is that like Zay Flowers was their number one wide receiver on the board, but they all ultimately chose as a collective, in quotation marks, Peter Skaronsky, that at this point, you have to expect that if you are making a big board, obviously the quarterbacks don't really factor in. They would obviously be there somewhere, but your non-quarterback players would likely look Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, and then like Roma Dunze 3A and maybe Joe Alt 3B. And then I don't think Alou Fashanu is right after that. Like, I think that from what I've seen, Daniel Jeremiah's big board movement and all this kind of stuff, and what I've heard some people say, I think that there could be a Brock Bowers, a Tarion Arnold, a um, Jerzon Newton, which would make my skin crawl. But there are players, I think, that could possibly be on their board higher than Olu Fashanu. Could even be Brian Thomas, who I think is probably, out of all the first-round wide receivers, I think I'm leaning that I like Brian Thomas the most. So we'll like see him. how it ends out. But I think people need to brace themselves. I think these people who are very steadfast in that it's it has to be left tackle, so it will be left tackle, I think they need to be flexible in their approach to how they view this draft because we still haven't hit free agency yet. And, and look, like uh, people get too, um, I think, kind of tied up with the idea that like, well, most people view Alton Fashanu as the top two tackles in the draft. So that must be the way that it really is, that it's a very clear pecking order. It's really not that clear. And, and frankly, like not even among media guys, like if you look at big boards like Mel Kuyper Jr., Daniel Jeremiah, those guys, some of those guys have, you know, Talese Fuaga uh in that top two or or above you know either all talise fuaga um, now he goes by tally to make it easy on everybody by the way so that okay so if you call him tally tally fuaga tally and cali uh-oh what did we just stumble on but but i mean like like that it could be fuaga it could be um you know jc latham it could be mims like it could be uh you know even tyler guyton who i'm not like super high on but you know there are other tackles in this class that teams could have preferences for over Fashanu or overall now I don't necessarily have them in that order but I'm not sure that it's crazy to think that you know hey maybe the Titans are going to like Fuaga better than Fashanu that's not crazy like that's not like a oh my gosh I can't believe that that happened sort of leap uh to make and and Look, we talk about all the time that NFL big boards do not generally line up as exact as media big boards because we all turn into this big hive mind this time of year where like everyone's looking at the same stuff and talking about the same stuff. And then we, you know, you begin to almost like 
feel like you have to be on board with certain players in certain spots. Otherwise you're going to be ostracized or ridiculed. Well, it's also a general uh, consensus thing, right? You're not yeah. looking at it from a NFL team perspective. You're looking at it from a league wide kind of perspective. Like, Oh, of course your quarterbacks have to be up here near the top, even though they may not be the best players because quarterbacks more value than anything else. So like for me, we're actually going to do this for football and other, or for stacking the inbox. Um, last year, towards the end of the draft, I did my horizontal vertical big board. And that's how most teams build their big boards. You've heard Rand say it a few times. So that's how they do it. They, they, <clears throat> you read, you take your vertical big board, then you put it out in horizontal stuff based on the team needs, based on what you think is a better player and stuff like that. Your philosophical board. Me and Stoney are going to take his big board that when he finishes up, and we are going to build one, and we're going to film a few rounds for everybody to see what we think the Titans would be discussing in a war room together, building a big board, which they Rand said today, and this is pretty obvious, but Rand said today, or the I guess the podcast came out today or last night on the official mm-hmm. Titans podcast, that they pretty much had to rebuild the entire freaking thing, which is not surprising. But and there's yeah, there is a backboard for your undrafted free agents and stuff like that, uh, Andrew King says. But for for the most part, you're looking at it and you're like, Yeah, of course they had to redo their entire big board and all this kind of stuff. So like to me, I'm not so caught up in this idea that other analysts are where they're saying it's going to be a left tackle, blah, 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 blah. I just allow myself the possibility that, first off, that left tackle may not be there. And just because that left tackle is not there doesn't mean that they're going to reach for another left tackle. And also, I'm not a fan of Amarius Mims and other stuff, but maybe they view a right tackle higher than they view a left tackle. Um, There's JT Latham is out there. Uh, Like you said, Tally Fawaga, who is just, you he gets his paws on you, you're you're dead, like you are done. Uh, but I prefer, like, if I were building my big board, Joe Walt number one, right? Then Marvin Harrison Jr. I put him over Marvin Harrison Jr. for me, because I know that Tennessee Titans just need a left tackle. But I don't think they view it that way. Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure that they should either. I mean, the biggest, the most important thing is that you come away with a elite player out of that pick uh whatever you do i mean if you can trade back and still get that elite player great i i am not really huge on trading back out of that pick actually unless they're the board just falls in a really weird way i am but i would prefer to trade up trade back in the second yeah because first of all i think you're going to get more for than what you gave up for will levis last year i think you're going to get more in this year's draft but I really like Fuaga, and if Alu keeps dropping like everybody is kind of talking about, but I really like Fuaga, I like J.C. Latham. There's some guys in that, you know, I'm not saying trade back into the 20s, but if you come, they, this team, I looked at for some stuff I'm doing putting together, I looked at last year's Packers draft, right? They picked like 15 players or something. This team is in desperate need of of players. And if that involves trading back from 7 to 14, 7 to 15, I think I'm okay with that. Like, and, and I, cause I still think they're going to get a good, 
maybe not a blue chipper, but I think they're going to get a good top 15 player and get many good players in the draft later. Hopefully, knock on wood, obviously. Draft's a crapshoot. So we'll see. But yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm always gung-ho of trading back. And I don't think that, philo- I think that overall philosophy kind of works. But I am, I'm with you. This team has so many holes. Just draft good players. That's all yeah. this team needs to do. Just draft good players. Draft elite players, draft great players, and maybe asking too much, but just draft good players. And and look, I mean, you would absolutely rather have, you know, an elite wide receiver than a average left tackle. And I'm not saying that that Alt or Fashanu are going to be average players or whatever. So don't freak out. But um, ultimately, what's important is that you get the best player you can because, like, this isn't a team that's just set at all these positions and only has one hole to fill to, to, you know, be Super Bowl bound. They're not the, you know, whoever you want to say the Niners roster or, or the Eagles roster, or, you know, give me any, you know, roster that you feel like is somewhat complete. Um, and the Eagles probably a bad example now, given the results last season, but um this isn't a team that's one player away. So like you cannot pigeonhole yourself and should not pigeonhole yourself into thinking that one position must be the pick. It, it could be anything as long as it's an elite player. And and the whole thing with trading back, like I am almost always pro trade back and collect more picks. Um, I just don't think they should trade back too far in this draft because I do I, I feel like that there's like six guys and, and I listed them out, you know, like, and they're the guys we've been talking about, like Alt Fashano, uh, Harrison Jr., Neighbors, Odunze, and Bowers. Um, those six are the non-quarterback blue chippers in this draft class to me. Uh, and I think you have to come away with one of those six. It, at least that would be my goal for for the Titans if I was running them uh, heading into the draft. And if three of them are on the board when you come to pick at seven and you want to slide back to nine or ten, um and pick up uh you know a third round pick or a second round pick or whatever you can get for that that is great like i i am 100 with you um if you can do that and still nab one of those guys but i i just would not want to move out of the range where i'm getting a difference maker out of that first round because you, you you're hoping you're not going to be drafting in the top 10 again anytime soon um so take advantage of it while you have the opportunity to, to get one of these guys that can be like, you know, a, a multi-time all pro for you. And that's typically where those guys come from. Well, let, let's talk about that because you were talking about team building. You're talking about getting, you have so many holes that you need. You just need so many players and there's so many different players you can draft and all this stuff. And I get the feeling the Tennessee Titans would agree with that sentiment. And I, I, I was talking today, and I am not sure that this team feels at a certain point that a rebuild on the fly is sustainable or a rebuild on the fly is exactly possible. Because I get the feeling the way that Rand Carthon talk and Chad Brinker talk is like, we need to win games, and our job is to win games. This thing could take a while. Like, it's kind of like a have your cake and eat it too, talking out both sides of your mouth because they're like, well, you know, GMs, you know, I'm hired to win games and we're hired to 
build a team and the coach needs to win and blah, blah, blah. And we know they kind of want to do a blow up last year and they're getting their blow up started a year late. But it feels kind of like I, I think people need to brace themselves. Because this fourth place schedule coming is not that easy. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, not, it's a hard fourth place schedule. Fourth place schedule. Yeah, but, they, they really did get screwed. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst fourth place schedule I've ever seen. But I think people need to, to, to set the expectations that just because you saw the Texans and Colts do it in your division, I don't know if it's going to happen again. But I think the point is, is that I think they're wanting to build a sustainable entity in the Tennessee Titans, and they want to build it like the Green Bay Packers because Chad Brinker was on the OTP, and it was chock full of all kinds of nuggets and interesting tidbits, but it was also a very cautious thing. is a very cautionary tale in the sense that, like, he said it could take two or three years, and he even kind of said, like, four or five at certain points, and he's mainly talking about building out the analytics team, the analytics department as a startup, just hire me. I'm available. I'll come work for cheap. I could be an intern for you guys. We'll help get this thing off the ground. But at a certain point, that also kind of bleeds into a rebuild and and the lack of draft picks. But they have a lot of uh, money in free agency. But they're like, well, we don't want to spend, you know, over this amount. We we're going to have a certain level that we're going to spend. I just feel like this year. I'm not sure that you're going to see a lot of big splashes from the Tennessee Titans. I think it's going to be a lot of smart moves with future years in mind, and they're going to want to build through the draft. That is, was said numerous times that the lifeblood of your team is through the draft, and this lifeblood has been drained. They have been vamp. The vampires came into the Tennessee Titans in Nashville, and maybe it was Mike Kafka at some point through the night. And he drained a bit their neck and drained the team, the lifeblood of this team. Because this, this team is having to get blood cycling and uh, blood doping and transfusions like they're Lance Armstrong just to stay alive right now. So just all that to say, best player available to tie it all back is not such a bad idea when you're trying to replenish and restock and build a sustaining life force. Like, that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think fans should brace themselves for this not being like like look the titans are not a super bowl contender in 2024 i know everyone's excited about the new coach everyone's excited about the direction that this thing's going everyone's like oh well now that they're not gonna run the ball on second and 10 all the time it's gonna be uh you know just fireworks all over the place i think you should brace yourself for this taking a while um to really be like at super bowl contending levels um and look they could be better uh, this year, I think, you, you know, the hope is that you look like something like the Texans in that, you know, you take some clear steps forward. Uh, it's obvious that you're on the right path. You you get, you know, some young players contributing and, and taking, you know, meaningful steps in the right direction. But, you know, you're ultimately like a 10 and 7 uh, type of team, because I think that's really where the ceiling is. Like, you know, you hope you fix the offensive line and that, you know, you will Levis shows real promise and things like that. But I just don't see any path where this team is, is, you know, playing in the AFC championship game uh, a year from now. And that's okay because look, it's going to take a minute to overcome the fact that you completely missed on the 2020 and 2021 and, you know, looking like 2022 drafts, like completely whiffed, almost zero redeemable players. Like I, you know, and I'm not, 
completely ready to write off 2022 because I think like Roger McCreary is a good player, not great. Um, I think there's still hope for Chig Aconquo being a good player, not great. Uh, Nicholas Petit Freire, I'm not totally closing the door on him becoming like a starting offensive lineman, but you know, and then even Traylon Burks, like maybe you could see him become like a useful wide receiver, but I, I think the door on any of those guys being all pro, yeah, I'm ready it's to close the door on bar. any of those I just hope guys. He's a useful wide pro, receiver, right? I hope he's like Chris Moore, <laughs> which which like which means that the Titans didn't select like a Pro Bowl level player for three straight years in the draft. And if you, you talk about like the lions, um, you know, who we, we referenced their draft class from 2023 earlier, if you go back to their 2022, 2021 draft classes too. Those got, those are draft classes are chock full of good players. Like, I mean, you know, Penny Sewell is an obvious example, but also they've, you know, landed guys like, uh, Derek Barnes and and uh, Fiti Melifonwu and and all these other guys that are contributing at a high level for them, all within the last three years. I mean that team is young at its core. Right? Amon Ross, Aiden Brown, obviously. Um, that team is young at its core, and the Titans are not right. Like the Titans just don't have any guys on rookie contracts that are good right now. I mean, McCreary and then the guys from the, the 2023 class may be the exceptions, but we, I still don't think you can full firmly say, all right, that guy's on an all pro kind of trajectory. Um, and ultimately that's what you've got to have. You've got to have young guys that are on that like superstar path. Um, and, and the Titans don't have any, right now so if they get one or two out of this draft class great like that's a great step but you ultimately need like four or five six of those types of guys to be the core of your your organization and it's going to take a little bit to get there um it just is well we'll talk about this too but logan said is a is amy adam strunk uh patient enough for a two-year rebuild and i think that from all signs of what we heard be reported about last year, that if she wasn't patient for a rebuild, I don't think Rand Carthon would still be here. I, I think that, you know, Mike Vrabel would have been here and Rand Carthon would have had to go. But I think that the general sentiment inside the building is that there is patience that needs to be had. Um, what else stood out to you in the Chad Brinker interview over at the official Titans podcast? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really did shed some more light on what, what we've been kind of asking for for a while from Brinker specifically and, and this team as a whole, as far as like some insight into like, what are you guys actually going to do with analytics? And and I thought, um, you know, PK wrote about it uh, as well. And I kind of feel the same way that he does is like, it was pretty illuminating that like, the Titans were just not doing anything on the analytics front Um, because like, you know, there was some stuff about like, well, you know, maybe they're using the scouts to do some analytics work on the side and stuff like that uh, during the Robinson Vrabel, you know, tenure and everything. It, they weren't like they, they were sure. They were their using... first hire was just like two years ago. Right. right like the, the right. first like named hire, Seth Walder, like, yeah. First official yeah. guy. That guy we were, pretty convinced was just a speaking spell they put in the trash in a, in a corner somewhere of someone's office. It's just like, they just, you know, 
punch in whatever they wanted to say because it did it just was bad. John yeah. Robinson had one analytics hire the whole time. And we knew that because he said, I am the analytics department, right? Like we knew it. And I liken it to if if you guys thought John Robinson was a caveman, uh, Mike Vrabel is like the Amish when it came to analytics. Like he used some of it. He used some electronics and he used some of it. And but ultimately, he didn't really believe in it. Like ultimately, it was not going to influence. You handed him a piece of paper and it was probably like, well, I don't know what this means, and I'm not going to waste my time trying to learn what it means because I'm a busy man. And yeah. Chad Brink mentioned that is like you have to have like a, a note card size information of like here are three things you can do. If you're overloading them, the caveman ain't going to do it. He ain't going to get it. Well, I think that's true for any coach. I mean, like a coach can only yeah. hold so much information. Like, so if you're going to ask Brian Callahan to be an expert on you know quarterback technique and what your drop needs to look like and how your progressions need to go and know the playbook and build this you know offense and all this other stuff he also can't be like a a numbers wizard who understands differential equations and uh you know how to do you know regression analysis of you know xyz whatever like he doesn't need that doesn't need to be his expertise he needs to have someone like an analytics department boil all that information down into Here's the action items that we really feel like are strong takeaways from the data. Um, So that's what they're going to do. And, you know, look, Brinker was definitely saying, like, it's going to be two or three years before we're really even seeing results from this thing. Um, So, and I don't know, maybe he's saying that. Doesn't have to be, once again, I am pleading for a job inside the analytics staff. I will do whatever (laughs) it takes to get in. And it, look, it doesn't mean that they won't get anything out of that department, but I think to really get to where they want to be, it's going to take some time. And that that makes complete sense because it is a big undertaking and teams like Philadelphia and Baltimore, you know, specifically have been at the cutting edge of this thing for over a decade. Like those teams have massive head starts on the Titans from that standpoint. And it's going to like, it's going to take some time to catch up. Absolutely. Like, and and I don't, I, I think that's realistic from Brinker. And I liked a lot of what Brinker had to say, frankly. Um, I did think that there were some, you know, some shots fired at Vrabel, uh, kind of laced in with that thing as far as, um, you know, uh, demanding, not about, demeaning was it yeah, was one. I was like, well, that, that's definitely not at Vrabel. That, yeah, that sounded like a direct shot at Vrabel. There was something about, um, you know, coming with question, like, you know, asking questions not with the answer already in mind or coming with questions, not answers or whatever uh, to the table. I felt like that was kind of a maybe a, a, a Rabel shot and that, you know, maybe Rabel wasn't the most open minded guy uh, when it came to Doctor. discussing things like that. Which, yeah, I mean, look, his personality was what it was and not everybody's cup of tea. Um, so well, I think not all I think 32 there were teams cup of tea, shots. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I mean, do you see the latest report out of Dallas? And I don't know how much of this you could take away from. I don't know anything about A to Z Dallas, so this is not yeah. to say that like that discredited them or anything. I just don't know anything about this guy from A to Z Dallas. But like, apparently, Vrabel wanted to coach at Dallas, and then Dallas was like, "Now nah, we're not talking to you," which well, is is wild to me. And and the reasoning behind it that they that they offered <laughs> in that that piece was that. Was that very well too big? Yeah, but that that McCarthy, given his tenuous hold on that job, probably didn't want a viable head coaching candidate in the building. Well, then why um, did they hire Vrabel? 
<laughs> well, I, I see what you did there, but that that was probably part of the reason that you know, and Mike Zimmer and um, who was the other but Ron Rivera? McCarthy's but, not the one making the decision. Uh, McCarthy's guy is Ron Rivera. Yeah, he's not making the decision. And apparently, Jerry Jones's guy is Mike Zimmer. So I, I think it's kind of yeah. one of those things where they're kind of they're going to figure it's it out. Like you're just making excuses, but, but that's okay. Uh, we, we, those of us living in the real world have seen the ride, the tea leaves pretty well. I mean, it's neon lights and look, Frankel wasn't as respected by the NFL as much as people think the media, as the media made it out to be. And listen, I fell into that trap too. I was right there with everybody. I thought for sure he'd get a job just like that. And then as this keeps going and going and going, I'm like, and then you hear more stuff and I don't really give a shit about the, the random GM that just said threw that thing out there. And I, I think what he was trying to say was like his presence mixed with his ego is not a good mix. Sure. Whatever. But it's the point of the fact is, is that I don't know if anybody's really buying into this old school way anymore. And he's just going to maybe, I don't know. I don't know where he lands, but he's got a little bit of rehab to do on his uh, image. Maybe, you know, shrink in size or something. I don't know. And look, I, I think if, you know, and we don't have to go deep down this rabbit hole, but I, I ultimately think I agree. I thought he was going to be hired as well. Um, I think the stuff. I mean, that everybody out, did. I mean, very few people, unless you're just like a pure, pure hater of Mike Vrabel to its core, he could do nothing right. And you're still tweeting about Mike Vrabel every chance you get to take shots at him because you're a loser and it's your new stick. That's fine. If you're that guy, that is fine. But for the most part, 99%. Even the people that didn't like Vrabel thought because the media told us he's so well-respected around the league and he he will instantly get a job. He's a home run hire for anybody. And ultimately, I still think that Vrabel is still a good head coach. That has not changed my opinion. None of this has swayed anything about what I felt like at Vrabel's time here or Vrabel's opinion. But what has changed my perspective on this whole Vrabel situation is that I think the media wasn't as in touch, and we kind of get into this in the draft stuff too. What really is the the feeling among the NFL? Like See, I, 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 I just don't disagree. think the NFL is really feeling Mike Vrabel. I kind of disagree. I think I think the reporting from Diana Rossini and Joe Rexrode at the Athletic about how things went down with Vrabel and him not playing nice with Rand and, and, you know, him, you know, maybe even chafing against ownership. I think that set off alarm bells for a lot of people that look, if this guy's going to come in and, and not, if he wants all the power in the organization, like what GM's going to hire a coach that has already made a power play once on another GM uh, and they're going to try to bring him in and, and hope he doesn't, you know, that that same dog doesn't bite again. That is, um, you're, so, you're not, you're agreeing with me then. Well, but I'm, the say, I'm saying, I'm saying about like, I'm saying that his repute it's not his reputation as a coach it's his reputation as a collaborator. That, that is like one in the same in today's but, NFL. You cannot, but, separate yeah, the two. but I think that, that reporting change opinions among ownership maybe i don't because i don't know that that was an open rumor out there among you know nfl owners and and you know the powers that be that wow things are really ugly in tennessee because we didn't hear anything about that that would have leaked out before i mean there was some stuff that got out during the season about like him and carthon maybe not you know necessarily being the closest uh but 
you know, I don't know how widespread that information was. So I, I don't know that owners couldn't have been more hot to trot about Mike Vrabel if that reporting didn't come out afterwards that basically was like, yeah, this dude was an asshole. Uh, Man, isn't that ironic him. that Vrabel's gal, Diana Rossini, including, yeah. by the way, Vrabel's mouthpiece, Diana Rossini, you're alluding that she is also ultimately the, the, the uh, designer of his downfall. That him yeah. and Joe, that Joe Rex Road are the reason. I'm going to tell Joe that tomorrow. I'm going to say that, you know, Mike Herndon said on our podcast that it's you and Di- yours and Diana's fault that Mike Vrabel doesn't have a job. <laughs> I mean, I think the reporting and the information <laughs> basically being out there has something to do with it. Because, I mean, I, otherwise, why would you want Dan Quinn over Mike Vrabel? I just don't understand that. One of them's been to a Super Bowl, but, you know, that's, well, you know, it is what it is. Someone has the better resume. Um, I, I wouldn't want either if if I was a coach. Um, big, I think, big Dan Quinn guy here. But but do you want to take a victory lap over five defensive head coaches being hired this cycle? I mean, yeah, I and I continue to just feel that that's the the whole offensive coach is the only way to win thing is so overblown to me. Like I just don't think it's true. Um, even like I mean. You know, Jim Harbaugh isn't like a a play calling head coach all the time, right? Like, I, I think he's done it before, but I don't think he always do, does it. Um, so I think this whole idea that you have to have an offensive group, like, is it better to? Yes. But ultimately, like, these teams are going to hire the coach that is the best head coach, not not the, you know, most offensive whiz kitty. Bobby Slowick and Ben Johnson may life. never be head coaches. Can, can I say something else about why Vrabel may not have a head coaching position? Because his staff cannot be good. Like the staff you bring to the table mm. is probably some uninspiring horse crap that you're gonna have to put up with. And oh. what's up with all? What's up with New York wanting Everybody's- all these all these coaches from the Titans? Like that has just been blowing my mind. New York slash New Jersey. Uh, but pretty much all those co- Titans assistants have been hired at this point, right? Like that I have know, been let crazy. go. Um, like hoteling got a job before Mike Vrabel did. Yeah. Well, I mean, he Wyatt. went back to his assistant at offensive line coach. Role, yeah. But still, so. he still got a job. Yeah. I wouldn't even trust him to be my assistant uh, <laughs> at that point. Uh, but like, I find There's, it, I, you know, Tim Kelly's a tight ends coach now. He's been demoted. Uh, Arthur Smith is over with the Steelers. So now he's got a worse quarterback than Desmond Ritter at the helm and Kenny Pickett. And then um, you have, um Shane Bowen who's with the Giants which I'm kind of lukewarm on Shane Bowen but they are about to get some fucking whiplash because there is no two defensive coordinators that are different in philo- in philosophy and how they deploy defense <laughs> than Week Martindale and Shane Bowen they're going to get some extreme whiplash up in New York but he may do good I think but he's I, I think he's a better he I think it's funny he went to a uh, guy that is similar to Vrabel in uh, in personality and demeanor in Brian Dayball. I thought I just thought it was funny that he landed there of all places. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it is going to be way different for them, but I, I I do think Bowen is a good defensive coordinator. Not a great defensive coordinator, but I think he's a good defensive coordinator. This will be a good test. to See what he does and everything. Um, yeah. Anything else from the Chad Brinker pod that we sort of derailed into a different topic on? Um, no, nothing, nothing really. I mean, what about the Rain Carthon pod? 
Um, I thought he had a lot of interesting things to say, talking about like player profile tapes and how they're building out, how they're working yeah. through the staff, which we haven't even got to the staff yet. And we're going to get to the staff here in just a second. But where are you at in what you are you feeling better about Rand Carthon now that we're several weeks removed from that horrible, horrible press conference? Um, yes, uh, better. I, Really, the biggest thing that's changed, though, to me is uh, him landing Denard Wilson, because I think he was a big part of that. Um, that was a well great as, story surrounding all yeah. that, by the way. Yeah, that was really good from that. Um, and then, you know, just the fact that it seems like he has proven to be a draw for the coaching staff and everything like that. That is a positive in his book, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, it, I, I still think like, even in that um, OTP interview, he gets so defensive with the media, even the internal media, like, you know, they sit down and I think Mike Keith said something about, you know, really happy to, have you on here and and Carthon says something like oh are are you really like I don't I, you know are you sure you're you're happy to have me on or something like that it, he's so defensive about stuff at times that it just comes across like I don't know almost like a lack of confidence to me um that it's just like dude what what are you what are we doing here so I I don't know maybe that's just like him trying to be um humble or something like he's i don't very, I no he idea. seems very dry like a very dry like to me i didn't that comment wasn't as weird as i didn't know where the eddie george conference room comment yeah, was there was that, that one too. was a little that one was that one like well how do you not know where the conference room is should you know where the conference room is? yeah um, that 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 one stood out to me more than the other because other ones like oh you know like to me i took it as like are you sure? I mean, because it's just me. Like you know, it's kind of more yeah. self-deprecating than yeah. than defense. But like, I thought the I thought it was really weird they didn't know where the Eddie George conference room is. And I guess props to Eddie George for having a conference room. Um, I think that's also weird in in a, of itself. So, you know, that he. I don't know why he has a conference room. He's not dead. It's not like an immemorial conference room or something. It just I don't know. It's just weird. I wonder who else. Uh, like, who else do you think has? Yeah, what named after is there? Like themselves? a Benji Olsen bathroom memorial? Like <laughs> this stall dedicated to Kevin Mawai? The Benji like, Olsen men's room on the second floor <laughs> yeah. would be wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know. I just thought it was weird. Like, what is what, McNair's? It's the press conferences for McNair, right? Uh, was is it named the, after McNair? McNair. I'm not sure. I should probably know that, but. Uh... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I would love to know. I, I need to like now. I need a, like a map of the Titans facility with all the different <laughs> names, like of the yeah, <laughs> the Randall uh, Godfrey it's just, it's uh, janitor's closet. Um, yeah. yeah, they have all little plaques and stuff. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like the direction of the team and the hiring of the staff, I feel, I feel really good about the staff as a whole, but I feel really good about it, not only because of Brian Callahan's experience, but it seems like it seems like they're really in a groove together. And maybe this is just, you know, it's just it seems totally different between him and Mike Vrabel, but it really feels like Rand Carthon and Brian Callahan are using this time to build out a really good staff. They're ta they're obviously taking their time, going through a lot of candidates, 
They alluded that we haven't even heard of some of the candidates that that or hasn't been released of some of the candidates, but they are using their they're taking their time, but they're also taking their time to find their rhythm together and, you know, finding new things out about each other, finding where they click and where they don't click, or where they can pick up. And I think that's a really good sign for the future, you know, but we'll see. But I, I think that that's a better way to start than not start. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and yeah, they, they, it almost seems like a love fest over there between, you know, yeah. Brian and, and Rand at this point, which is good. I mean, you want it to be that way. Um, I, I appreciated him giving, well, one, I appreciated him admitting that he probably should have been, I guess, more active with the media, um, at times last year, uh, because that's something that we've griped about a little bit, particularly with the Kevin Byard trade and all that. Um, and then I really did like that. He, um, gave some explanation for like why they chose not to go to the senior bowl. Um, although he was a little defensive about that too. Like, you know, saying like, well, I, I don't know if he's really defensive, but the man, people really harped on that stupid ass. Well, shit. It's, I mean, it, and- it was overblown. I mean, I was a little surprised that they weren't there just because like, I kind of felt like that's like the a general. Thing. I saw someone keep a tally of people that he asked if the general manager was there or not. Now these aren't all eyewitness accounts, and some of these were only verified by one. There's like yeah. 18 general managers. Okay, so there. it's more more common. Um, than, yeah, yeah, it's a lot more common than what we thought. And I don't know if that's because there was a lot of head coaching openings and all this kind of stuff. I, I don't yeah. know what it was for, but it, apparently this number keeps dwindling in the wrong direction but the scout number and the media number goes in the right direction. Yeah. So that's, that's what this uh, is. I can't remember the name. I think I bookmarked it, but it was a, it was some guy that like covers the NFL from a business perspective and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. And I I thought his explanation made sense that like, you know, Hey, they, they wanted to be able to have people in have, you know, these coaches come through and interview and be, you know, in Nashville, see the facilities, things like that. I mean, even like, you know, the new, the facilities are new, right? Like, I mean, all the offices are new. Um, They've really remodeled St. Thomas sports park. So like that is actually a selling point for the Titans now. And, And people, you know, don't always think about that stuff because they view it as like, I guess every NFL team's basically the same. Um, It's all about like who the players are or whatever. Um, but to me, like, I mean, look, I go into nice facilities every day is a nice thing um, if you're a head coach and you're going to spend all your time there, by the way. Right. Like, because those guys work crazy hours uh, during the season. So, like, having a nice facility to be able to work those crazy hours in is is kind of nice. So, like, it's it all goes into, like, selling the coaches on on coming to Tennessee, being a part of things there and everything like that. So like, I, I do, did feel like his explanation of why they didn't go made sense. Um, and I, yeah, it seems I, like I they're letting Denard good. Wilson fill out his staff pretty much yeah. because I, I know there's a connection between Steve Jackson, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Bill K- or Brian Callahan, but Denard Wilson and, and Rand Carthon had overlap really. And then Denard Wilson has two overlaps with Steve Jackson, one overlap with Frank Bush. Yeah. So I feel like he's kind of hiring his own staff for the most part. It's probably kind of similar to what they've been doing with Brian Callahan. It's probably they're all three in a room, all three interviewing, all this kind of stuff. Um, a couple of different things, uh, just real quick. Can GMs talk to players at the Senior Bowl? If not, then why be there? 
it's a speed dating thing. Uh, coaches can coach some senior bowl players if they want to. Mike Tomlin jumps in on some drills and offers coaching, and they can kind of talk on the field. But for the most part, it's a very speed dating atmosphere. If anybody reports, and it's funny because I think Sam Phelan did this like an hour later after I was telling someone about this. But if anybody reports, so-and-so talked to the Tennessee Titans at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, no shit. Every play, it's literally a, you're in a room and the players literally go around and speed date. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what Cole Strange described as speed dating. So it's, you don't really gain too much from being down at the Senior Bowl. The Combine's where you get to know the prospects and all that kind of stuff. And all that kind of stuff. Uh, Andrew King, and this will lead us into our coordinators talk. So thoughts on the guy they interviewed for special teams coordinator from the Giants? That would be mm. Thomas Mahe. Uh I'm out uh, for on him. He's not that good. Uh, I feel like it's pretty much more Craig Ackerman, but I don't know what the influence of the players are. I don't know the ins and outs of the Giants special teams. I could just tell you that based on Rick Gosling, who whose life is special teams and ranking and rating, it's not that good. So I don't know anything other than that about him but i'm just kind of like hey let's try to do someone better yeah i mean i, I i'm kind of in the same boat like i like do special teams matter yes do i care a ton about who the special teams coordinator is i really don't i mean look uh, not not until it's craig ackerman until he reaches craig ackerman levels as long as as long as the new guy doesn't get two punts blocked in a row and you're all pro punter injured. Um, I'm fine with whoever they hire. I mean, like, I just, I will admit that I do not study special teams play across the league enough to know who's running really cool shit on punt block and, and things like that. I just, I don't do it. I don't care that much about it. Um, so I'm not going to have a strong opinion, no matter who they hire as a special teams coordinator. All right. Unless let's, it's Bill Belichick. And then uh, that's an A plus. Yeah. <laughs> Harry plus higher. Uh, let's talk about some uh, coaches and stuff like that. Uh, just a real quick, because uh, I think that we both kind of liked Denard Wilson. And oh, this kind of stood out in the Rand Carthon interview. Strike fast. Really seemed like the Tennessee Titans striked fast on their guys, or struck fast, I guess you'd say, on the guys that they wanted. Bill, they obviously wanted Brian Callahan. Nick Holtz was number one. Uh, offensive coordinator, the first offensive coordinator interviewing seemed to be the guy. Denard Wilson was the first one that they wanted to interview. Seemed like he was the guy. So in speaking uh, to Denard Wilson, because I think that's the that's the coordinator out of the two coordinator hires, that's the one that matters a hundred times more than whoever the offensive coordinator is, in my opinion. Yeah. But Denard Wilson seems like the Tennessee Titans match made in heaven, and it seems really hard to pick apart the hire itself next week at second inbox. I'm going to talk about what to expect. Cause we really don't know where his influence mainly lies. Cause he has, he's been with the Rams. He's been with the jet. He's been with the Eagles. He's been with the Falcon or with the, uh, the Ravens. It's one of those fucking bird teams. Um, been with the Ravens. I don't really know what his influence is and what to expect. So we're going to, I'm going to try and figure that out. But overall, it sounds like the Tennessee Titans got one of the steals of the uh, entire coaching cycle in Denard Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that was one of the things he mentioned in the um, uh, uh, OTP interview was 
the multiple coaches had or coaches that they interviewed had Denard Wilson as part of their perspective staff. You know, all, all coaches come and interview and they say, all right, this is who I'd go get for all these different positions. Um, and it sounds like multiple coaches were targeting Wilson. Um, and, you know, I, I think we know that other teams were also pressing for Wilson besides, you know, those who, who would have had um, those interviews. So, you know, the Giants were pressing for him. Um, you know, so I think he was a coveted guy out there. So the fact that they were able to land him is, is huge. And look, I mean, the one question I really, cause like unquestionably his, you know, background, his experience, what he's been able to do with secondaries has been elite at every stop along the way. Um, you know, the drop off in the Eagles secondary performance this past year. Uh, after he left, you know, the the way that the Ravens played this past season um, under his uh, tutelage in the secondary, you know, Geno Stone having seven receptions, um, incredible results in almost every stop. So, like, that, that much is clear. Uh, I love that he comes from Mike McDonald and has spent a year, you know, working under him, you know, kind of understanding Jonathan. his defensive uh, philosophy. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon as well, who um, you know had had a ton of success with the Eagles. Obviously, I I love all of the things about his background. The one question is going to be, you know, like how does he do as a defensive play caller with that you know responsibility in his hands? And and you know, I guess there's the question of like you've got new play callers on both sides of the ball now. Um, you know, is that a problem? I don't really think it is. And the way that they've built the staff Thank is you. interesting I agree. because like you've got a 30, what, eight, 39 year old head coach, 39 year old offensive coordinator, 41 year old defensive coordinator, but then your position coaches are all older shit. You got, you know, 54, 56, 61 and 67. I think it was. Uh, among the the position coaches so it's kind of this like inverted structure where the young guys are are kind of setting the uh, agenda setting the course and then the older guys you know who have experience or are the ones implementing and passing it down to the players um, which is kind of an interesting setup and and you know I think there will be coaches who have experience you know to lean on in the building. Obviously, Bill Callahan has been an offensive coordinator. He's been a head coach. Um, you know, we know that, uh, you know, Frank Bush, I think, I believe had been an interim defensive coordinator at one point. So he's called plays before, not a ton, but he's done it before. Uh, so, and I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up hiring, you know, one or two more coaches that have that kind of experience on the staff um, for roles underneath these guys so i'm not that worried about the whole age thing or experience thing with the the top guys i think it's exciting that they're going in a new so direction even nick colts you're not worried about the experience aspect because i i contend his resume is not impressive it, it's a trust it's, it's, a, it's as equally as impressive as bobby slowick's if not more, it's seven. No, years no, it's not because you're completely ignoring oh, so it, because the fact just that knows Bobby Slowick turned CJ Stroud into like a superstar. Before, this year. Listen, but when he was hired as offensive coordinator, he had nine years of experience and he has 17. Yeah, Colts but has I mean, 17. like, 
but Slowick was at a at least position coach level or higher for more years than Holtz Holtz was because Holtz has yeah, only he was been... never a position coach. He was quality control coach and he was passing game coordinator for two years. He's past game specialist yeah. and passing games coordinator. So he's a specialist and then I mean, a coordinator for one year. It's not far apart, right? Like so I don't well, disagree with seventeen it's years versus apart. nine years, but go but, ahead. But I mean I don't think that that. I mean, just facts. I mean, I'm sorry that everybody's like, and people wanted to hire Bobby Sloak as head coach. So, you know, I'm just saying, I think there's a lot of parsing of what experience means in the, in the NFL world. I think there's also an argument to be made that like, Hey, he spent like 10 years as a like quality control level assistant basically. And wasn't promoted to a position, to a position coach level. Right. Like, Slowick has had a quicker acceleration in his career than Holtz has. So, like, I don't find Holtz's resume impressive at all. Like, all, the the thing with Holtz is that, you know, I don't think he's, like, the next, you know, superstar offensive coordinator or head coach or whatever. Um, I think that's a purely trust and, like, comfortability hire for Brian Callahan, who, I mean, he's going to set the, like Callahan's going to set the agenda for the offense. Anyways, uh, he is going to install the offense. He's going to play, you know, make the play calls. Holtz is there to be a like high level secretary basically <laughs> for Brian Callahan. He's going to impart he's, what, he's what Callahan Brian, he's wants. Zach Taylor's Brian Callahan. He's, that yes, guy. with less of a resume than what Brian Callahan had going to Zach Taylor. Um, it, I think it's fine. Like, I don't really care. I, that was, I cared less about that hire than I did the offensive line coach hire, than I did the defensive coordinator hire, than I, you know, do the defensive backs coach hire, frankly. Um, so I just don't care that much about it because I think it's it's largely going to be a reflection of whatever Brian Callahan wants um, and hopefully Holtz does bring some ideas to the table. Like it seems like Callahan did, uh, for the Bengals, but you know, I don't know anything about this guy really. I mean, like, I'm not going to sit I here think and that's like the big issue. And, and to me, that is, to me, that's the biggest issue with this. If we knew a little bit more about Nick Holtz, everybody would be falling over themselves one way or the other to either say it's a really good hire, or really bad hire, because we'd have more information. It's like when nobody knew who Bobby Sloak was until he became offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans. I'm not saying that he's going to be because he's not a play caller. We're not going to really know what Nick Holtz really brings to the table unless he's fired. That that's the key for me is like everybody's like, well, we'll know if Nick Holtz is bad in a few years. Well, will we? Because like then we're kind of saying that we know that Brian Callahan's going to be bad in a few years because which you will, but. It's Brian Callahan's offense. He's the play caller. How much are we going to get into this thing where all the bad plays are Nick Colts and are all the good plays are Brian Callahan's? Is that and, where this? Uh, we we do not need to go down that road at all because that's like the the biggest like unprovable thing ever that that people just love to get into and like wrap their brain into a pretzel trying to rationalize yeah. whichever side. And that's they what's want. eventually going to happen, right? I mean, let's go ahead Maybe. and predict it now. All we should just put it out in a tweet. Officially official, all good plays are Brian Callahan, all bad plays, Nichols. <laughs> That's right. He's in charge of the bad plays uh, for this offense. So, Because I no, don't think I, you're going to be able to say Nick Holtz is, is bad at, at being an offensive coordinator. There's nothing that we're going to see 
that we are going to have tangible evidence without being inside the building right. to be able to say, well, Nick Holtz is a bad offensive coordinator because it's really it's Brian Callahan doing everything and he's delivering the message of Brian Callahan and maybe going to have some input here and there, but Brian Callahan ultimately has final say. He is there for me, in my mind, this is why I never really cared about if this was Eric Studisville or uh, Norm Chow or Norm Turner. you would have preferred Thomas Brown, right? Like, if if that was Yeah, I mean, but that's just because I'm a Thomas Brown fan, and I feel like he got a raw deal with the Carolina Panthers, and I think he's a really good head coach. He's got a tangible background, right? Like, I'm ex- I would be excited for Eric Studisville. I'd be excited for uh, Thomas Brown. I'm less excited for Nick Holtz. I'm not like all up in arms about, it, but I just want to say that I think like this idea that this is hire the hiring of the drink, it being drilled down to the hiring of your high school drinking buddy, you know, back in the day, and then say, well, you people would kill Vrabel for this. Well, Vrabel ended up not being killed for this. And then got killed for it because he was really bad at it. If uh, people is, people did kill Vrabel for hiring his buddies. That was a constant. They complaint. hired Tex. They they it was Texans coordinators, but uh, yeah. Texans coaches. It wasn't really buddies. Texas coach, but he also because those coaches sucked. He deserved to get bashed for it and continuing yeah, to. But do I mean, it. again, like it'll be That's an unprovable thing. You have whether to, or not Holtz is good. You well, know, Brian like, so Callahan if he has sucks, to give him the benefit of the doubt. No, I agree he does, and I'm not bashing the hire, but I'm just saying that a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, Nick Holtz, that's great, sounds good, whatever, would have absolutely crushed Mike Vrabel if he'd hired, you know, his his buddy from whatever high school he went to in Ohio, you know. But But again, he earned that. No, 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 but I'm saying, okay, listen, listen, listen. I'm saying if he'd hired him as defensive coordinator, right? Like if he'd hired him as Shane Bowen, if Shane Bowen had been his high school teammate um, and barely had any experience. He earned that badge of honor is what I'm saying. Brian Callahan has not earned that badge of honor yet. He may end up earning that badge of honor. If, If Nick Colts comes in and he's, Beating, you know, I'm just saying it's, it is funny. It's objectively funny that everyone was so mad about Brable hiring his buddies and complained about it incessantly for years. And two of the new head coaches hires are his dad and his high school friend, um, which like, everybody wanted his dad. by Yes, the way. of course. Of course. Like his dad is a home run hire. Like I, that's part of the appeal. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but like, that's it's what Brable should have learned is how so to hire his good friends. <laughs> well, he should have hired Luke we'll Fickle. Hire right? like, I wanted him to hire yeah. Luke Fickle for forever, but right. I just uh, get Ryan Day as offensive coordinator. We both were on board with that. Yeah. Get the good ones, not the rejects. I'm uh, not. I'm not saying I hate it, but I do think that there's questions like, will he fire Nick Holtz if Nick Holtz sucks? And I'm less worried about his dad because, like, his dad is just not gonna suck. Like, period. He's got a long enough track record. He's just been awesome everywhere he's been. He's one of the best position coaches in the NFL, if not the best. So I have zero worry that like, like Bill Callahan is not going to be bad at his job in Nashville for the first time in 30 years, right? Like even if the offensive line is not great, it is not going to be Bill Callahan's fault. You'll never convince me of it that Bill Callahan is the reason that this offensive line is bad. So I'm not worried about him and his dad, but my thing is, is like, yeah, 
If Holtz well, is I mean, bad, he, will he, he fire him? Worried about it or whatever? But he, I think, like I think he kind of put it. Did you say he was a glorified secretary or something or administrative yeah. assistant or something like yeah, that? He's yeah, he's a glorified I, secretary. Like he, in, in, I mean, I, what's he really going to do wrong, right? Like, I mean, that's I guess that's the point. But I, my overall theme with this whole with this whole discussion is you can't turn around, you can't say, well, the biggest pro for Brian Callahan is that the staff he can assemble is going to be is going to be a good staff. We know that he can assemble a good staff, and then he makes one hire that nobody knows anything about. Because we just don't have that a lot of information. Like the one YouTube video is Bobby Sloak. As I mean, he looks like Kmart Bobby Sloak. Um, it's, it's 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 a it's a someone it's a someone uh, someone messaged me and said he looks like beans. Um, yeah, I, I got that one too. <laughs> and I'm um, like, yes, yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> now I can't unsee it. Uh, but you can't you can't turn around then say at the first sign of a hire that you're not familiar with that this is automatically a bad hire and like it's that not a, you know no, that's just it, and I'm not saying it's a bad hire I'm just saying it's and I'm not saying you are but people impressive. are yeah uh, it's, got, it's a comfort and thing. It, that kind of answers Logan's questions because Brian Callen is new could do no wrong I think it's because you should allow your coach to have the benefit of the doubt Vrabel had the benefit of the doubt until he didn't deserve the benefit of the doubt yeah. anymore and and look uh, to that point Logan people says, should. People should not be going to the mat to say, like, Nick Holtz is awesome. Like, what a great hire. Yeah, I can't believe yeah. we got Nick Holtz. Like, nobody should be saying that. I'm just I arguing the semantics of, like, that. oh, he doesn't have experience. And I'm like, well, neither did Bobby Slowick. And are you just saying because he rubbed elbows with Shanahan that he gets, like, the bump? I don't know. It's just I, – I feel like some of this stuff just is, like, people just need to take a breath and not have to grade everything, even though you can't. Um but Logan Grady said, will he fire his dad if Raiden still false starts every game? I uh, believe it was in PK's article. If he false starts every game, he's not playing. Yeah. You do chance. not – you get one chance with Bill Callahan, I believe. That's how Alan Fanica put it into PK's article, if I'm not mistaken. But like, yeah. you get one chance. It may have been Duke Manyweather. I've listened to so much football content. Everything is getting forced. But someone said, you get one chance with Bill Callahan – and you better learn how to do it, and you better get it done right, and you better keep on doing it because you're that's how it's gonna work. So the false start thing ain't gonna fly with Bill Callahan. Yeah. Uh Tyke Tolbert. We haven't talked about Tyke Tolbert. Um I get the feeling that some people are a little underwhelmed by this, but for the most part, home run higher. I think the the football knowers think it's home run higher. I'd be interested to know. In this Tyke Tolbert discussion, it, it may, I, mean, I need to find someone that's going to, that's the next time Tyke Tolbert's available for interview. If you're listening to this and you're a media member that's going to be either at the combine or somewhere, I would like to know what his involvement was in the draft process and drafting Anquan Bolden, Lee Evans, these guys he's being given credit for developing. Did he recognize their talents? Cause that's Aaron Glenn's kind of was like, Put me in a room with five minutes with the DB, and I'll tell you if he's good or not. Is that Tyke Tolbert? Like I, that's what I want to know. Yeah, I'd be interested that in that too. And like, I don't have a strong opinion on Tyke Tolbert to be honest. I mean, I think uh, you know he's a career wide receivers coach. Um, you know, he's had some good ones. He's had some bad ones over the years. Um, I know Bears fans weren't necessarily like over the moon about him. Um, but then again, like, I mean, DJ Moore had a fantastic year, but DJ Moore is awesome. Um, and I talk about this all the time, like assigning all of the responsibility for 
good players being good to their position coach is not fair, just like it's not fair to assign all of the responsibility for bad players being bad to their position coach is not fair. So, you know, it's hard, you know, all you can do is judge him based off of his wide receiver success and, and stuff like that. But look, Brian Callahan spent a good amount of time with him in Denver. They won a Super Bowl together uh, in 2015. I think it's, you know, obviously someone that he has a high opinion of that he respects. Um, and to me, like, again, like, that's good enough. Like he's going to teach the techniques that Brian Callahan once taught. Um, and also Nick Holtz, his background is as a wide receiver from like his playing career, which, you know, I think that doesn't make him like necessarily more of an expert than Tyke Tolbert on wide receiver play, but he's probably going to have some opinions there as well. Um, so yeah, I think as long as he is implementing and, and correctly communicating that stuff, and I think he's been continuously a wide receivers coach at the NFL level for like 21 years now. So clearly he's not terrible at his job. Um, but I mean, like, you know, is he better than Rob Moore? Hopefully I you know, I don't know. 100,000%. I can go I mean, that. Their careers are kind of the same, right? Like they've been a wide receiver I would coach say for a long someone time. has way more 1,000-yard uh, receivers on their resume than Steven, or than uh, Rob, Rob Moore, Moore does. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Yeah. Rob Moore you're, did a good job with A.J. Brown. I don't know. Like He got one. Who's who's your quarterback coach? Who's the quarterback coach for the Tennessee Titans? Your, your guess. Uh, I'm going to say Bo Hart agree. I know that name's been That's where there, I'm leaning. Um, for a while, but yeah, we'll see what happens, but I, I can see that. I'd say Bo Hart agree. I wouldn't be surprised if it's David Shaw though. That'd be interesting. I would like but that I would say, actually. Cause yeah, like I know people have soured on David Shaw for whatever reason, like, but that dude is incredibly intelligent. You, all you have to do is listen to him speak for more than like five minutes and like you will find yourself liking David Shaw. Um, yeah. And I, I think he's a guy just based on, I, I actually recently listened to him on an interview. I think it was with Ryan Rosillo. Um, and like, I could see him connecting well with Will Levis, um, which ultimately is the biggest, most important qualifier for anybody who's hired to that position is, are they going to get along well with Will Levis? Can they teach Will Levis? Can they bring the stuff to the table for Will Levis? Um, yeah. So, and I, I think David Shaw could do that. Well, that will do it for us. Football and other F words. Mike, tell the people what they can get if they subscribe to paulkarski.com uh, today or tomorrow or whenever they go to paulkarski.com. What'd you write about? Well, this week you can uh, read all about Bill Callahan. I'm obsessed with Bill Callahan. Um, and how he can take and how he has a history of taking mediocre to bad offensive lines and making them elite very, very quickly. Um, and, and how I think the Titans could manage to do that in 2024. Um, so you can read all you about that. One, uh, one morning at mobile, we got our day started up at the top. We watched Alex Gibbs talk about wide zone concepts for an hour and a half before yeah. we woke up. I, I, and Stoney was like, what'd you search to find us? Because I want to watch more. Because there's all kinds of videos of mm -hmm. Alex Gibbs cussing and talking about and He's designing so on. And this was, listen, the videos are from 2015, by the way. Or at least they were uploaded in 2015. Uh, 
Maybe they were taking it earlier because he's using a uh, projector and he's writing on the little clear film and all that kind of stuff. But but he mentions, well, yeah, it would have been 2015 because he mentions Brian Callahan coaching offensive line with the Cowboys. And Bill. so this was, it was 2014, I think, going into 2015. And this thing looks like it was shot in 1970. Like it is, it is, I don't know who put this together, but it's, it is so bad, but it is, it's good stuff. I mean, it's good, it's, fun it's stuff so to watch good. if you're interested in football. And Alex Gibbs, who is like the godfather of the wide zone, you know, scheme is, has called Bill Callahan the best teacher of that scheme in the history of football. So like, yeah. That is the kind of guy that you're like. I think the Titans are gonna like. I I am so excited as a Tajay Spears fantasy dynasty owner uh, for next season. I mean, I think he's just gonna go nuts. So, uh, stackinginbox.com is where you can read all of our stuff. Uh, me, Stony, and Trey got a lot coming down the pipeline. It's off season time. Now's the time to subscribe to stackinginbox.com. We're gonna have all kinds of off season tools, off season talk. Uh, me and Stoney are going to build a big board. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it's going to be great. Stackinginbox.com, 440 Sports, uh, football show, Mondays and Wednesdays, Hot Read Podcast is also there. Of course, football and other F-words. Uh, Bluegrass Beverages is our sponsor. Uh, been 50, serving the Hendersonville area for over 50 years, getting them drunk, getting them laid, having some good times. Henderson, Bluegrass Beverages are lo- our longtime sponsor here. Go to Hendersonville, Tennessee, get you some alcohol. For Mike Kerndon, gosh, I'm so sick of talking about football. Uh, for Mike Kerndon, <laughs> this has been Football Under the F-Words, and you have just been effed. <laughs>